Um, one of the neater things about living in Montana for me is uh, driving out in farm country um, and, and driving past houses and getting, getting the good look at um, every generation of farm equipment. You all know what I'm talking about? I mean, I, I, different farms have, either Williams Farms maybe has like the best collection I've seen where they've got a whole yard for it. I don't even see, where are you, Mark? <laughs> they got a whole yard for it, like a whole like field of, of combines. And it's, it's one type after another, after another, after another. And you can see where they, they went from, you know, the, the really ancient stuff that horses were dragging around, um, you know, back when Craig started farming. Um, to, to the ones that are that are you know slightly more advanced, to the more recent ones, and then the ones from the 70s and and the ones the 80s, and you know the the, the progression of of equipment and and how many I mean most farmers have that right. I mean, am I missing something? It seems like just about every farmhouse I've visited has the the vintage equipment collection, um, and and the reason I'm starting with that is. Um, we're, we're working our way through James, and James is sort of talking, there he is, um, James is talking quite a bit at this point about, um, about the future and about what we have. And, and it's interesting when we look at things like farm equipment. Um, I don't know, I've never bought a combine. Is it, do they have a new car smell? I mean, like when you, <laughs> has anybody ever driven a new combine? Like, can you, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that you'd be able to tell? I, uh, um, I, do they, I, I'm guessing that when you get the new one, it's, it's exciting, right? I mean, it, it's faster as a bigger swath, like satellites drive it for you sometimes. And I mean, all these new things that, that come along and ultimately those new things, if you wait long enough, they're old things rusting in the field, right? Or, or they hit the point where you don't need them, but you don't want to sell them because they ain't worth nothing. I was told someone... I, I, Dwayne told me that this morning. He's got tractors that are hood ornaments because they can't sell them. They're not worth anything, but like you don't want to get rid of them because they're still tractors. Is that about right? I, sorry to pick on you. I, uh, does anybody have any of those? Is it just Dwayne? I, um, but, but as we, as we shift into James, last week, um, um, last week we kind of, we kind of worked our way through an argument, um, where, like James's big message here, his big theme um, is living out what you believe, like turning your faith into a concrete action in your life, um, making certain that, that the belief that you have and the salvation that you have becomes a reality in everything that you do. Um, and part of what this church was struggling with was that um, there were folks in this culture who, who were incredibly wealthy. Um, the, the mid to late first century was a time when um, um, there was a big migration of farms from like, like small farms to big farms, right? And you went from a time where, you know, everybody had their own farm to where a handful of very, very wealthy people owned really big farms. And the small farmers worked for the big farmers, because they could no longer afford to, like, hold on to their own property. They had to sell it off, and they ended up basically, you know, selling their labor. Um, and it was, it was actually a time of significant economic crush on folks like that. Um, and, and one of the practices, and James touches on it early in the book, and he comes back to it at this point, is, like, one of the practices you would see is these wealthy farmers, folks would come out and work, 
And at the end of the day, they'd come to get paid. And it was important to get paid at the end of the day because if you don't make very much money, um, you got to eat, right? So you come to the foreman at the end of the day and you say, hey, I'm ready for, you know, I've worked all day. I'm ready for my wages. If the foreman says, we'll pay you at the end of the week, good luck with that. Can you do anything about it? In that culture, you really couldn't. You were kind of stuck. You just made it a point not to work for that guy again in the future, though you probably had to work for him the next day because he still owed you money. Um, and, and so you had these folks who were getting stuck in this cycle where they were basically being taken advantage of by large farmers. And um, there were a lot of very poor Christians early on, like, like the church started you know, amongst the poor. And, and James is addressing a great deal of like, like sort of the inequality in this book. Earlier we talked about how when rich people would visit the churches that he's addressing, like the rich guy would get a nice seat and they'd make the poor guy sit on the floor which is a really gross thing in a culture where, like, everybody rides on horses everywhere. So if you're walking in the street, you're, the exhaust problems are huge. Um, you know, and then you walk into the house, and it's like, oh, you get to sit on the floor by my feet. Good luck with that. And I thought my feet were bad. Um, wow. <laughs> Rough morning. Um, and so James says, look, don't treat people, in a, like, unequally. Like, you treat the rich the same as you treat the poor. It's not okay to treat people like... Unevenly, and and elsewhere he he talks about like um, in chapter one he talks about how ultimately in the last days like when we stand before God the wealthy have this disadvantage because when they go before God they're not taking their stuff with them right I mean I got things that I love right I mean things that I love am I the only one here who does that you know I love my big TV. I'm not going to lie. It's just the truth. I really, I like my big TV, right? And when I go to stand before God, it ain't coming with me, right? Um, my nice car ain't going with me to stand before God. Ultimately, my stuff is going to end up sitting out in the field, right? Like the old farm equipment. And when we go to stand before God, like the stuff that we love and we value, the stuff, not the people, the stuff, ain't going with us. And so early on in the book, James says, look, for the wealthy, you guys are going to have to go through this humiliation of watching your possessions disappear because it's going to happen. It's not going with you. Um, And in the previous section, like right before we shift into this argument, and I wanted to read through it because um, like we give handouts for notes. Have any of y'all been following the notes? There's no new note set for this week. It's actually last week's because I just disagreed with James McDonald who wrote the notes that we're doing. Um, And I'm splitting this section in half, right? Because I think that James, when he writes this, he makes a really uncomfortable argument. And I think to to not focus on it is unfair. So um, in the previous section, what we looked at was, um, this is four, what was it, about... um, 12, 13, yeah, 13. Um, Better was a poor and wise. I'm in Ecclesiastes. I should be in the right book. Um, (laughs) I was thinking, I'm like, that doesn't look right. What? (laughs) Um, This is uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you know nothing, you, you know not you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a, a little time and then vanishes. Instead, of, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will 
live and do this or that. As it is, you, will, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, what James is talking about in this previous section, you can listen to this sermon online if you missed it and you need help sleeping at night. Um, what James is talking about is this mindset of get everything you can, everybody else is on their own, right? This is folks who would have a lot of money and look at poor people around them who genuinely need help and say, well, tough, have a nice day, right? Um, James is pitching a perspective of wisdom that says, I have what I have, and having wealth isn't evil necessarily, but ignoring the needs of your brothers and sisters is, right? And so, like, in the previous message, we looked at this, this end of things where he's, he's asking questions and he's sort of dialoguing. Everybody got that? Um, he asks all these questions. He says, well, do you know what's happening tomorrow? Do you know where your life is going to be? Do you know what God has in store? Don't brag about things that you don't know about. Instead, look at God and operate according to his, according to his wisdom. Now what James does is she, he shifts gears, right? Um, and it, it's kind of a downshift because what he's doing is he, he starts really putting the hammer down, right? This next section is, is rough, um, but it starts with the same phrase as the previous argument, okay? And he does that on purpose because he's drawing a parallel. He wants the reader to pay attention at this point, right? And this will be in 5.1. Uh, we'll actually read through, yeah. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Now, this phrase um, is kind of a funny one because what he's doing is he's he's sort of, mimicking Old Testament, right? Like, if you sit down and read Isaiah, Isaiah is loaded with this kind of like, hey, you need to start weeping. You need, you know, woe is you, you people who are oppressing the poor. Or, you know, he, he's taking on an Old Testament prophet tone. And his readers would have recognized this. The other thing that he does is he stops asking questions, right? Like, there are times with my daughter who's only three, and I know she's not getting it, Right? But for some reason, there's this part of me that wants to reason stuff out with her. And so I'll ask her questions. Why did you hit your brother? You know, or why did you take this from your brother? Why did you do this? Didn't I tell you not to? Yesterday, she was jumping up and down on the arm of the couch, and she fell and hit her face on the arm. And, like, when she was done crying, I said, hey, didn't I tell you three or four times before you fell not to do that? Yeah. And you kept doing it? Yeah. Well, this kind of turned out the way I said it would, right? Yeah, so what do we do next time? Don't jump on the arm of the couch. No, you listen to me. Um, the previous argument, he's asking questions. And the reason he's asking questions is he's trying to get them to change course, right? This section, that's out the window, right? And this is the times when I'm yelling at the daughter. I don't yell at her. She's too cute for that. Um, <laughs> but where I'm having a stern talking to, and what we're doing is we're not discussing it, I'm explaining things, right? I mean, those of you all who have kids maybe can relate to this, the times when it's just, it's time for us to have a heart-to-heart, hand-to-butt conversation. <laughs> um, and actually, there's an assumption here that he was talking to believers in the previous section, and he's shifting off, and now he's pronouncing judgment on the folks that are oppressing the church at the time, right? But... But James is very clever because he puts their warnings about chasing after wealth and ignoring God right next to his, now you folks who are wealthy and are oppressing the church, you're in trouble, 
right? He puts them right next to each other because it's a way of saying, do not chase after this stuff because if you chase after it and you ignore the needs of the poor and the folks who need help and everything else, you're going to bring this on you, right? Um, and, and it starts out strong. Weep and howl for your miseries, right? Like you need to, you need to back up and be aware that, that bad stuff is coming. Why is bad stuff coming on them? Because they're rich? No. Um, James goes on, and there are people who've read this and said, oh, well, James just hates the rich people and everything else. And it's not what he's doing. He actually shifts and he transitions and he talks about the problem. He says, your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and silver has rusted and their rust will be witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire, meaning your tractor is rotting in the yard now and the old TV that you bought in the 70s is no longer nice and you had to replace it and the iPhone you bought last year is now junk because you, you cracked the screen and there's a slightly faster version. Um, <laughs> Um, but here's the, here's the accusation. It is in the last days, and you have stored up your treasure. Um, last week, I talked about a, an author who wrote a book about the end of the world, right? So the world is coming to an end. And, like, he took all of his profits from this book that he said the world would end the next year, and he invested them in the stock market. Why? Because he was going to take it all with him, right? That or he was full of something. Um, and that full of something was not like prophecy and like the Holy Spirit and stuff. It was himself um, and whatever that means. Um, what these folks are doing is they recognize that there's a new world. They recognize that the people around them are, are suffering. And what they're doing is they're saying, even though the time is short, even though I am coming up on the end, I'm going to make as big a pile for myself as I possibly can. Right? It's almost like, um, oh, I'm going to not do that. I'd be careful what I'm going to say about this. Um, none of us will take it with us, right? Um, there was a guy, uh, it was two years ago, three years ago. It was at least three because it was while we were in Indiana. Um, there was a, a TV preacher, a radio preacher. He's a radio preacher who said the world would end. And he put out ads and billboards and everything else. And he had all these people send him money. And, and um, when the world didn't end, did you all, you all know what I'm talking about, right? It was all over the news. You had people who were like, oh, the world's going to end. And they went out and they ran up like thousands and thousands of dollars with a credit card debt because, well, whatever, Jesus is coming back. You know, I'm all good. Um, but folks who did that when Jesus didn't come back, they tried to sue the preacher. Why did they try to sue him? Well, I wouldn't have run up, you know, thousands of dollars worth of debt if I knew, you know, the world wasn't going to end. I only did it because I thought Jesus was coming back. It's kind of this sideways perspective. In the last days, if Jesus is coming back, and we don't know when that's happening, but it is, um, we don't pile up for ourselves because it ain't going with us, right? It'll be taken. It'll stay behind. It ain't, it ain't like, you know, it ain't for us. What James is talking about here, he's saying, listen, everything you have is gone. It's all moth-eaten, and it's all rusted, and all of these things will like declare witness against you because all of this stuff you thought was so much more important, um, you did all this in the end as you were preparing to see Jesus. Instead of getting ready, instead of living right, instead of following him, you did this. Anybody see the movie Schindler's List? One of my favorite, only watch it once and never again movies. 
Um, there's a scene in the end of the film, like Oscar Schindler was this this industrialist, and he he made a great deal of of money during World War II, like building mus- munitions and uniforms and stuff like that. But he also bribed folks to bring Jews out of concentration camps to work in his factories, and then he like smuggled them out of the country and saved them. And he spent an enormous amount of money saving. Jewish folks from concentration camps. And in the end of the film, he's standing in a crowd of folks, just, you know, several hundred people, and he's looking at him, and he realized that he saved all of these people from dying. And he, he starts weeping, and he says, see this pin I'm wearing? This is five people pinned to my chest. I could have gotten rid of this. I could have saved more. See my car? That's 200 people. I let them die because I own this car. Um, see this, see that, and everybody around him is like, what are you talking about? You saved us. And he's saying, but I could have done more. Because what he was doing was, now watch this, what he was doing was, he was recognizing that there were folks around him drowning, right? And he was saying, but I could have this. Is, Is having wealth wrong? No. Actually, I don't think we find that in the scriptures at all. Is ignoring the needs of the folks around us, right? Is knowing good to do and not doing it wrong? Yes. And actually, it's funny how James phrases that. Watch this. Um, This is the last verse of the previous section. There's only... I should read the right verse. Um, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Right? That means if I know and I don't do it, then it's a sin. If Jimmy doesn't know and doesn't do, is he sinning? Nope. It's us looking and not caring that's the problem. Um, We're going to go on here. This is verse 4. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth. And what he's talking about here is he's saying, listen, um, the cries of the folks who are starving because you're pocketing their money And that's what they were doing. They were stealing from their laborers because they were dealing dishonestly. That money, those cries are reaching God and you're going to answer for it. Because ultimately, like God, the God we serve, we talk about love and we talk about Jesus' grace and him dying for our sins. We talk about all these things. But God is also a God of justice, right? God is also a God who looks and says, when the poor are oppressed, I'm not okay with it. We... Worship a God who says, I'll repay. Don't worry. Vengeance is mine. Um, And what these folks were doing was they were accruing God's wrath. How were they doing it? They were robbing people who couldn't feed themselves. They were saying, I could feed you by giving you the money you are owed, but I would rather do this. Um, He goes on, You have lived in luxury on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Um, he starts to accuse him. He says, listen, you've lived and you've, you've consumed and you've enjoyed and you've done all of this in the day of slaughter. Um, I, I have yet to be around for a day of slaughter. I suspect that I may be a vegetarian again if I did. Um, <laughs> but I have been there for, for uh, branding, right? Do cows enjoy branding? I'm guessing No. Right? Like, it's not, it's not the fun thing. These would be the cows that are hanging out in the back of the pen, like, taking advantage of the other cows who are getting branded. Right? But it's coming for them, too. 
kind of thing. Like he's saying, in the day of slaughter, you're standing around while everybody else is being slaughtered, and you're like getting fat off of them. Like, <laughs> but guess what? How many cows escaped from getting slaughtered? None of them, ultimately. How many cows escaped from getting branded? Once they're in the pen, not very many. Larry is not here. I would have made a joke about lassoing, but I <laughs> can't. It's no fun. Um, you have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Now watch this. What he's talking about is this persecution went beyond not paying folks. It goes into the realm of like outright persecuting believers. These are folks who were looking at, at Christians around them, at good people around them, and taking advantage of them and, and persecuting them. And part of what happened is um, during this era, there was... Um, this would have been very, very early in the persecution of Christians. Um, and, and what you could do was, um, the laws were really fuzzy about Christians, but if you could prove that somebody was a Christian, you could take their stuff. Like you could file a lawsuit against a person and say they were a believer. And if that person didn't recant in court, you could actually take their possessions. Like, and, and part of what may have been going on here was they were looking at believers who probably didn't have very much. They were taking them to court and they were taking their stuff. And actually, on the other end of that, you could be executed for being a Christian. If you wouldn't recant and worship the emperor, they could you know, cut off your head or something. Or set you on fire or nail you to a cross. Or, um, and there were believers who went through this. There were believers who went and said, I won't take it back and lost everything they had. And then when they continued to not take it back, they were imprisoned or executed. Um, and part of what he may be talking about here is that. It's difficult to say for certain. What's definitely the case is James is standing up and saying, you're taking good men. These wealthy folks who are cheating the folks around them are taking good men, and they're condemning them, and they're putting them to death. They're taking advantage of them. They're robbing them, and they're killing them, um, and they're not resisting. Why would they do that? Well, I'm going to tell you, like, these are folks who recognize that their wealth isn't here, right? Their wealth isn't in this place. Their wealth is elsewhere. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite um, um, Christian writers uh, is, is a woman by the name of Corey Tenboom. Have you all ever heard of her? She was a Dutch. Yay. Love Dutch people. Uh, she was a Dutch woman who lived uh, during World War II in, in, in Holland. And her family, her father was a watchmaker, and they hid Jews from the Nazis. And when they were caught, um, because a, a family member betrayed them, they were put in concentration camps, right? Like, and there's this great story where um, Corey is, is sitting in jail, and an SS officer comes to interrogate her, and she's terrified of being, being tortured. And when he comes in, she starts preaching to him, because she figures this is the end anyway, Right? And she converts the Nazi. (laughs) And he doesn't torture her and he sends her to the concentration camp because he has to in the end. But he weeps and says, I'm so sorry for the things I've been doing and I'm not going to hurt you and all this other stuff. Um, If you read her account, this is a woman who didn't really care about what she had in this world. She cared about serving God, right? She, for the rest of her life after, preached all over Europe about God's grace. After um, several years, she was approached by one of her camp guards who asked her to forgive him. And she was in a camp with her sister, who was the only family member that went with her. The others didn't make it to the camp. 
And she sat with her sister in this camp, and her sister died there. And this guard who she knew approached her and said, will you forgive me? And she said it was the hardest thing she ever did, but she did it. Why? Because this rage she had, she could hold on to it forever, but where, where would it get her? It would rot in the field next to the tractor, right? This anger she had, this like, you owe me. She recognized that vengeance is God's. And ultimately, I'm going to tell you, I'm glad I'm not under his vengeance. Not because I've never done wrong. Because believe me, you sit down with my wife for half an hour and she probably won't tell you because she forgives me too, right, honey? Um, but I've piled up enough that I'm, I'm sitting there with the rich man, right? But because God loves me. Because God loved these wealthy men who, who James is pronouncing judgment on. Because God loves... Honestly, some of the most wicked, actually all of the most wicked people in this world, um, he sent his son to die for us. Um, God's son, Jesus Christ, comes and, and even though we deserve what James is describing here, even though we've earned it ten times over, even though we actively rebel against God, even though that is who we are as people, he loves us enough to like, like send his son who takes punishment for us, who literally it says that when Jesus was on the cross that God poured all his wrath that he had stored up for us out onto his son. I mean, all of it. I, I, man, I can't imagine spanking my kid real hard, though I do occasionally, um, because I love them. Um, I, I, there are all these things. I couldn't imagine doing this for my son. I don't know who I would love that much. Um, God loves me that much, and God loves you that much, and forgiveness is available. And as James is pronouncing judgment, honestly, we see where prophets pronounce judgment over and over again in the Old Testament, and the objective is always repentance, right? It's always letting folks know that God is coming for them, you know, tear your clothes, you know, (laughs) say you're sorry, fast, be broken in front of God, and he forgives. He's a God of grace and mercy. Uh, Jonah is actually one of my favorite books in the Bible because Jonah has to go and preach to a city of people that he hates. Like, and God says, oh, go preach to those guys. He's like, well, I hate them and I want you to kill them all. And so I'm not going. You know, and, and he tries to escape. And ultimately when he goes, he wanders into the city, stands in the middle of the square and says, God's going to kill all of you. And I'm pretty happy about it. Have a nice day. And he like walks out and he sits on the hill nearby, crosses his arms and waits for the fireworks to start. And, and I mean, because he didn't want them to be saved. And that's what he says to God when God does save him. He says, you know, this is why I didn't want to go, because I knew you would have mercy. And I didn't want you to do it. Um, when prophets pronounce judgment, it's a precursor to God's mercy. But God's mercy only comes, only comes in response to us being contrite for us repenting which means turning around and going the other way for us like recognizing the weight of our sins and and confessing them and being forgiven like in christ jesus that's why we worship not because we're trying to earn favor with god or tit for tat if i do this then god will do that it's because you and me you and me every one of us is going to end up in that graveyard on the edge of town right that beautiful house you're paying off is going to look roughly the same as the homestead houses. You know the ones I'm talking about, right? I mean, you can't miss them. But those were beautiful houses once upon a time, right? Everything you have, those rusted, you know, the cars that you love 
will be the rusted out car sitting in the middle of Big Sandy. I'm sure it'll happen because that's where every car ends up when it breaks down. Um, (laughs) What James is doing here is he's warning his people, do not become this. And he's announcing to these folks, just repent and be forgiven. Turn from where you are. Because in God's economy, our stuff doesn't equal much. He don't need it. We're going to close in prayer. And my, my challenge for you today, my encouragement is to look at your heart and look at your life and ask yourself, like, are you growing fat? I mean, are you looking at the folks around you, you know, the folks that need it, and turn a blind eye? And I'm not talking about folks who, you know, well, I could have a job, but I don't really want to. And so, you know, I'm talking about folks who need help. Are you looking at folks who don't know Jesus who carry the weight of the world on their shoulders, and are you keeping it for yourself, or are you talking about it with them? Um, are you a fragrant thing that walks in the room, or are you something stinky that when people show up, they're like, oh, it's you? I mean, do your actions and your words and your attitude and your heart reflect Jesus Christ? Or are you piling it all up for you? I, I think James's warning, this is kind of a, a heavy, you know, aggressive talk, and I'm I, I, I'm doing it because um, because it's something worth taking seriously, right? We're here to live for Him. We're here that our actions would reflect His heart. We're here to follow the teachings of Christ in the lives of every everyone we encounter. We're going to close in prayer, and and if. If you feel convicted, if you feel moved, I want you to pray with me and I want you to raise it up to God and I want you to ask for him to move in you. I want you to ask him to bring you to repentance and to make this right. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us today and and as we stand in front of you, as we um, come and worship you, Lord, I pray that anything that gets in the way of of us being near to you, that, that you would raise it up. Lord God, the things that we idolize and that we love more than you, Lord God, I pray that you would draw them before our eyes and help us to recognize. Lord God, I pray that, that the, the anger we carry towards other folks, you know, and the, the frustration we have over past sin, <clears throat> Lord God, I pray that you would draw it to our eyes that we might forgive and, and let go of the things, you know, in the past that we hold on to so tightly. Um, Father God, I pray that you would bring our heart our hearts before us and if we recognize pride that says I can do this myself and I am earning my way there and you know I'm I'm good enough on my own Lord God help us to recognize it and and be humbled in front of Jesus help us to um, bow our heads and 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 ask for your grace and your mercy Lord because there's nothing we can do to earn it but it's a free gift and that in Christ Jesus we're all we're all like saved we all can have hope um, that though we may that we may pass, we'll live forever. Um, in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Um, we don't have a last song, or we did have a last song, and we sang it at the end of the last uh, <laughs> segment. Um, so we're going to close with a blessing.